0: It doesn't look like it's going to happen. That's okay. We can live. I'll just rely on your keen memory to remember everything that's in the store. <laughs> if we're relying
1: on my keen memory, we are so toast.
0: <laughs> and with that we will start Hello and welcome to Red Raccoon Radio. Yes, that is my voice, John Parrot. Uh, I am back on the podcast after last week's uh, kerfluffle, I will say. Kerfluffle. Kerfluffle. But Such a good word. Thank you. I pull these down whenever I can. That.
1: I appreciate that. This okay. time I cracked the can while speaking to try to cover the sound effect, but it probably still did not
0: work. Of course not, especially now that you've brought an attention to it. Yes. Uh, which I wanted to say during the last recording, which I went back and listened to after you freed me... Uh, I think that you saw the transitions are very hard to do, no matter who you are. Yeah. And uh, I, I appreciate whenever you point them out. However, we are coming to you from a new secret location today.
1: Well, uh, our, our old secret location is full of puzzles.
0: Filled with puzzles. Yeah,
1: somebody dropped a pallet full of puzzles right in the center of it, and so we had
0: to we had to call an audible. Yep, we, we didn't have a choice. It was either that, or we had to solve all the puzzles, and I'm pretty sure one of those were two guards standing by a door, and sure only one can, of them could tell did the you truth. you notice
1: they're all the same puzzle? No. They're all the same puzzle. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, then. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Did you mean to get a whole palette of the same puzzle? I did. Okay, just did. making sure. I didn't know where we were going with the story. Yeah, no. Uh,
1: well, yeah, so just, just as a fun aside, um, the uh, the USAopoly, which, you know, we do a lot of business with them and they mostly make a lot of the rehashes of Monopolies and Clues and stuff like that, they lost their license for all Simpsons stuff because of the Fox um, acquisition by Disney slash Marvel, however that all shook out there. Uh And so the same rule that makes Marge and Lisa Disney princesses also meant that USA Apple lost the license and they were trying to clear stuff out of their warehouse. So we ended up getting a bunch of Simpsons Monopoly and a bunch of Treehouse of Terror puzzles at a really good price. So excellent. Well, yeah, they're, they're not going to sell great in the store, um, but you know we've got our website up and running, and on the internet, once they dry up, people will be like, "I want a Simpson puzzle," and we're going to have them. So.
0: So what you're hearing is the voice of store owner Jamie, who is the only one joining me today. Uh, now, I will want to take a step back and say I don't believe that Lisa and Maggie are Disney princesses because I feel like. And this is something that is my personal belief. A Disney princess, while needing to be in Disney, also needs to be part of royalty. So I will say Princess Leia, totally a Disney princess now. I'm good with that. However... I would say Mulan kind of falls into a gray zone because I don't think she marries into royalty, does she? Was it the prince that was was leader of the armor? Okay, so yes, then she she is a Disney princess because I think the marriage happened in the sequel. But I I think we get get a little, just because there's a female in Disney, we start throwing around Disney princess. I don't know, they 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 always, uh,
1: they consider Lilo a Disney princess, don't they?
0: I don't, I personally don't. And then
1: the little girl from,
0: um, uh, what's the one, Wreck-It Ralph, right? She's in there with the princesses. She is a princess. Because she's the princess of her own kingdom. We just don't find that out until spoilers, end of the movie. Okay,
1: okay. Because I remember in part two where she's hanging out with all the Disney princesses, right? Yes, yes,
0: because she was. So technically, is Wreck-It Ralph, yeah, Wreck-It Ralph is... Are, right? So technically, that would yeah, she'd be a Disney princess. I would I would confirm that. Okay. I'm just saying there has but to be royalty But what about Kaylee there.
1: from Firefly? D-
0: I'm sorry. You don't think so? Unless uh. there was a second season where we established that she came from a, a relatively like a, a ruler's lineage, or she was some sort of child that was unclaimed. I'm sorry, Kaylee is not a princess. Is, does that make her less awesome? But, Absolutely not.
1: The internet though has already said that Dr. Frankenfurter is a Disney princess though from um, Rocky Horror Picture Show
0: uh, a different planet, maybe. I don't maybe, know. maybe. I again I'm just saying there has to be royalty in love, right, And I feel right. like we we use the term, we throw it around too much, and I just want to be solid about that. But let's talk a little less about Disney, which might come up later, who knows? We we tangentialize so much on the show. Uh, and talk about what we came here to talk about today, and that is board games.
1: Board games.
0: So tell me, Jamie, as far as board games go, what's been going on in the shop lately?
1: Oh boy! Um, it's been a lot of uh, Kickstarters that are showing up recently. So it's a you know, and depending on the company, um, I think I've said this on this podcast before. Just because you're a good board game designer and a board board game creator does not make you a good Publisher or a good business person, right? And so every Kickstarter that we work with, you know, you, we have some of them where they're established brands and they figured it out, and we have others that this is their first game out of the gate, and the game looks amazing, but it is a rough transition to to, to get the game prepped and everything we need to put it in the store and have it ready to go. And so this week has been like a, a ton of. Um, trying to track down the information on, on a lot of Kickstarters and make sure that they're all ready to go and everything's prepped before we put them out and, and talk about them in our traditional live videos we do. So,
0: yeah, it's been a lot of that. Um, and, and I know one of your genie wishes would be to go over every retailer that publishes on Kickstarter, shake them and say, make a retailer's pledge. <laughs> yes. but I think that is... Among your top three wishes, yes, that and um,
1: request that the, uh, the 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 manufacturer that that is printing the game for you put the the plastic wrap seams on the side of the box. I, I've. I've talked about that so many times. When people ask for my um, thoughts and impressions on their their prototype of their game before they they go to full production, you have to specifically ask them and then they will put the seams on the plastic on the side of the box and it keeps games from toppling forward or backward on the shelf, right? You're gonna spend all this money in artwork and you want your pretty artwork to show out, but if your game won't stand up correctly, it doesn't matter how much money you spent on the artwork. And so um, a few people have taken my advice on that, and I appreciate it, and their games are in the store. Um, one of those is Gage, um, and I always—I hope I don't butcher his last name, Gage Gualti, And he is local here to Bloomington, and we just got a restock on his game, which is called Change Up. And we sat down with Gage before he went to... Per- Uh, to print and he changed the box and and how he labeled some of the stuff on the box and the seams and and we've done really well and he his game is fun it's like a multiplayer three card monty like Mm. can you follow the numbers can you can you discover where the numbers are and follow them as the cards are getting moved around so it's pretty fun pretty awesome we got to restock on that um yeah we met with the um a 16 year old um, young lady came in, and she had a prototype of a game, and we played it as a. I think four of us sat down and played through her game, and then gave her a bunch of feedback. That was kind of fun. Um, that she just decided, I'm going to make a game, and went out and did it, and she came up with something that's kind of fun, Interesting. kind of a spinoff of a um, an Uno, so kind of a simpler card game, and so we gave her some next steps and. And and one of the cool spinoffs of this local um, designers group is we are going to start hosting local designer meetups at the store again.
0: Oh, it's fantastic!
1: The first one is coming up in April, and it's they're going to be on Tuesdays. I want to say it's like the like the twentieth or something. I'm I i do not have the schedule in front of me, which is horrible. But um, but we're going to have once a month our local designers are going to get together to. Speak bounce ideas off each other and show off prototypes and and get some play testing in. And then they're scheduling it purposely so that they're not in competition for attention against the uh, it's called Kudo, which is the champagne Urbana designers organization. And so they wanted to schedule it so that they were not the same night as Kudo. So if they want to drive to champagne or have the champagne folks drive over here, um, we can make that happen. So, there's quite a few board game designers in central Illinois so it's pretty cool
0: I I've briefly kind of gazed into the Kudo and all of their organization over there one of my friends has been a pretty big proponent of that and uh, I appreciate all the work they do so finding out that we can do that actually at Red 2 is kind of cool
1: yeah here's some interesting news I don't know if I shared this with you or not um, the the gentleman who designed search for planet x moved to bloomington
0: really yeah
1: he lives uh, apparently out by the airport i haven't met him yet but that's kind of fun we're trying to um, set up days to have all the local designers come and show off their games at the store so i think i mentioned last time that i had invited the guys at elf creek um, they're over in Champaign to come over and show off their games uh the guy who designed canvas uh, which was a really cool art game. Big head. Love Finally campus. getting a reprint. Finally coming back, and we've got it ordered. Finally coming back to the store. Um, he lives in Champaign now, so we're going to try to get him over. And then the guys at um, uh, Forbidden Games are up in the Plainfield area, and we're trying to get them to come down, too. So, And I also talked to, and uh, this is a stretch. I don't know if this is going to work, but I did talk to the folks at StoneMire. And they're just they're all based in St. Louis to see if I'm like, hey, we're just two hours up the road. If you wanna come up and hang out with us, we'll we'll do a celebration of Stonemire games. And um, their new business uh, development person was interested okay. follow up with her and see if, um, if if we can actually make that happen and do like a Sunday Stonemire games or a, or a Sun uh, Saturday just for Elf Creek games or a Saturday for forbidden games I think I think that'd be kind of
0: cool they're only a hop and skip not a jump away
1: yeah, yeah. you know in central, all in all, like going
0: forty we'll go 45
1: miles for barbecue I mean yeah especially to play a game or or here to meet a designer and maybe listen to a little bit of feedback on how design choices and games were made. I think that'd be kind of fun. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So that's what this this week has been is a lot of Kickstarters and a lot of chasing stuff around. So
0: So speaking of Kickstarter, that kind of gets us to our first topic that I wanted to talk to you about today. And that is, uh, we normally have been using Kickstarter as just a general term for crowdfunding, especially when it comes to board games, but that might be needing to change. Uh, We talked about GameFound in the past on the podcast and their, their recent news of being highly invested by by Robinsberger, correct? Yes. And so we kind of even postulated on the podcast, what are we going to expect out of this? What is this influx of money and resources going to do? And they released news over the past week that kind of hinted at where that's going to be going Uh, because they have now opened their doors completely to being a Kickstarter rival.
1: Yeah, before they were kind of operating like they were in a beta mode and they were only um, allowing designers on on an invite only basis yes so that way they could kind of slowly ease into this without just everything going crazy
0: now, when they first came on the scene, they were mostly just there to help with the actual support of like production, so that people could uh, basically get their games produced, and they would handle the collection of money and things along those lines. Yeah, they lines. did the
1: pledge managers and the fulfillment side. So, exactly. take the orders, take the money, and then send out the games. But because a lot of designers, like we've talked about, are it's 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 a guy in his living room or mm-hmm. a basement or or lady who's sitting at the kitchen table or her you know bedroom or wherever designing the games they don't have the space to receive like you know if they have a successful kickstarter they don't have the space to receive two or three or four thousand copies of the game
0: yep so that's where uh this has been such a a big set of news because from what i've seen the I have used them for the project uh, ISS Vanguard, so I've been working with them as they've been giving updates on that. I went directly through Gamefound to pledge that, and I've had a great experience. They don't, I don't feel nearly as overwhelmed with emails as I do with Kickstarter. Uh, I feel like when I was going through the pledge manager with them, it was very simplified and easy. Uh, I think that they've really learned a lot from what they were seeing Kickstarter doing, and and tried to improve upon it on their own. So this to me is. Is kind of a no-brainer, at least especially for board games.
1: Yeah, so we're going to have to use crowdfunding as a generic term, right? I think like so. it's, it's like we've turned Google into a verb, as mm-hmm. opposed to did you Google that on Bing, right? Exactly. Or, or did you Google that on Yahoo? Um, it's interesting too because. Um, yeah, we, we, you know, we back a ton of stuff through the store as well to make sure we've got copies for the store with all the goodies and everything as, as um, when they first come out. And GameFound has significantly improved their interface for the pledge manager and stuff because I remember making a post in a game store um, forums where somebody was asking about, you know, which one do you recommend or prefer where I had specifically had said like, yeah, don't use GameFound because their interface is horrible. It's kludgy It's you can never make it work the way that you want to. And um so many of the early uh generation of kickstarters were using when using them just for the pledge manager side, I hated using the gamefound interface. I would, you know, I, uh because of the, some of the competitors like crowdox and stuff just have a easier to use, more streamlined interface, but GameFound has really stepped it up. Mm -hmm.
0: And especially now with the news coming out of Kickstarter of their uh, belief more in the cryptocurrency game and wanting to possibly interact a little bit with that more, and people's divisive feelings about crypto this is a great alternative that's just kind of our now presenting itself to people to take up
1: well just as a just as a clarification kickstarter never said crypto they said they were going to move their platform onto the blockchain
0: excuse me but then they
1: never actually told any of us what they meant when they said that um, because for most people, when we say blockchain, it, it does mean crypto, right? And it means cryptocurrency and all some of the, you know, a lot of the bad news, especially a lot of the environmental issues that have come out of um, using blockchain for cryptocurrency in the last call it nine months. Right. Which has started to kill off a lot of the hype around Bitcoin. Um but when you say you're gonna move your platform onto the blockchain, what does that actually mean? And nobody seems to really know. And, and even with, uh, as far as we've gone with all of this backlash that they've experienced from, from floating this idea out there, um, they still haven't provided any clarity. They haven't backed away from the statement, but they've provided no clarity going forward to tell us what the heck did that mean? Because if they, if they were just going to say, yeah, we're going to accept payment in Bitcoin, uh, there's there's a lot of places that have done that, right? Yeah, that's not a big problem. I, I just saw an interview the other day of some guy who, he was the first ever guy who, um, he bought a Domino's pizza for 10,000 10, Bitcoins, 10 million Bitcoins, some obscene amount. Of, it was
0: 10,000. Yeah. It
1: 10,000 Bitcoins. It was just floating around on the internet last week, and I was just like... You know, bet you that guy's kicking himself over a fifteen dollar pizza. Yeah. And did did whoever he paid it to to Domino's actually keep those coins? And I mean, what what happened there, right? What's what's the ba- I, I would love to know what happened after he paid for the pizza, but
0: the only worse story I've heard than that was someone had uh, some Bitcoin on a USB because that's how you keep it. You know, mm-hmm. you have a physical space for it, and he accidentally threw it away. Oh. And every year it has just grown and grown how much that would have been worth. And he has actually gone to the dump, trying to sort through trash, trying to find his, his yeah. trash. And I, I have not heard any more of that story. It's been a few years now. So I can only imagine he he just kicks himself more and more each day. Well, Again, kind of the weirdness, because if you throw away your, your bank card, like your... Credit, uh, your debit card, you can get a new one. But blockchain, that's not going to allow you to do that. It's that's like, um, have we talked about? I don't if the the
1: urban myth or urban legend that nobody can, nobody has verified it so far. But that um, after the first Gen Con, that Magic the Gathering was shown off that it did so poorly at Gen Con that the guy who was working the booth in Disgust threw away all of the boxes that he had taken with him to Gen Con. And it was all... So they were all first edition sealed starter <sighs> decks. And, um, you know, the rumor says... The story that goes around the internet says that, uh, that people have reviewed the contracts with to see which uh, uh, refuse company picked up and emptied the trash at the con at the time and what dump they had a contract with. So where would they have taken it? And then tried to work with the dump to see what part of the dump would those cards possibly be in because they were sealed in plastic. Theoretically, they could have survived. It's possible that they, the, that there is treasure in a whole bunch of, and it's supposedly it's hundreds and hundreds of first edition starter boxes. So with a black lotus first edition, you know, alpha card, um, sitting at over a hundred and fifty thousand dollars. It's worth a little
0: sleuthing, right? It's true. It's like a a treasure hunt. (laughs) But if you found a lot more black lotuses, the value of the black lotus might lower But Well, you
1: only release them like one at a time, right? Very smart. Yes. That's
0: why you're a businessman right there. One at a
1: time, maybe one per year. Like, oh, look, I've got an alpha black lotus. You know, or just sell the sealed boxes because then it's a mystery of what's in the box.
0: (sighs) If only, if only the sort of treasure hunt actually came true. Yeah.
1: And then the other one was um, uh, when uh, Atari crashed and yep. they buried all the games in the desert and people have gone back looking for them. There's a whole documentary about this. Oh, where somebody where made a documentary
0: on that? Yeah, when they actually went back and found all the ET cartridges yeah. and all that jazz. Yeah.
1: Oh, I'm going to have to watch that now. I no, believe I it's didn't on know Netflix.
0: Yeah, it's good.
1: Oh, hey, one before you move on, one more fun aside. If nobody caught it on April Fool's Day. We shared out a YouTube video about the documentary for uh, Pokemon Live, the Broadway musical, and that wasn't a joke. That's a real thing. There's It's a real documentary because it was a real Broadway musical. They actually opened on Radio City, and everybody thought it was a joke. It's actually real. It's worth watching. Okay. it's That's a real thing. I didn't realize when I put it out there that I was actually sharing it on April Fool's Day, and I'm like... Nobody's gonna believe that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, this isn't what I meant. <laughs> I meant to be believed in. Yeah. Um, so, kind of going back and speaking about as you, that obviously the first uh, instance of magic not going well. I did want to talk to you about something that popped up at Gamma, but I didn't know if you got a chance to see because we didn't talk about it in our Gamma episode. Soulforge. Uh, no, but we can get into that here in just a second. Uh, I was actually going to be talking about uh, the Lords of Waterdeep creators apparently getting into the Marvel game business, and there was apparently a demo of it, but I don't know if you got to see it or not.
1: Never saw it.
0: Okay. So, this
1: year they did something different at Gamma that, that... I don't know, maybe it was, I'd say it was maybe a little bit annoying, where they had a media first views room or a media first looks room. And if there was a demo, playable demo of that at Gamma, I did not see it. And I went through the entire—you um, know, there's there's multiple game nights where you can go just sit down with the developers and the publishers and learn to play games. Because I, I told you, I did get the chance a chance to play Marvel Dice Thrones,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which was amazing. Um, but yeah, I did not see this game, and I, I. I don't know. Maybe I'm wondering if it was only in that media first look room and they let some people play demos in that room because I heard it was pretty much just prototype at the time. That's what the article said.
0: Yes. So basically, Lords of Waterdeep is one of my favorite games and I think it is can be used as one of those introductory games to get people into deeper games. The understanding of the mechanics of area control and placing your units in certain areas I think has been... Uh, it's very powerful for teaching people a next level of understanding games. Gateway game. That's what we refer
1: to those as gateway games.
0: So being able to have the creator of that starting into the Marvel universe, which is becoming more and more accessible to people each day, Mm -hmm. uh, I think is is intriguing to me and that's why I wanted to bring it up. Because I know that a lot of people have some issues with everything's being marvelized, from Dice Throne, like we were just mentioning earlier, to uh the, the new Marvel Champions card game, which is kind of taking space away from the Ark Horror games. And I know that there are a lot of people that say, I don't want to just play another Marvel game. I just don't... I feel like they're just slapping this label on a different things. Even Smash Up now has a Marvel version. Yep.
1: But with the Disney version coming later this year.
0: I heard about that as well. Disney Smash Up. So, I... But I feel like it makes it so much easier to get people interested now, especially with the MCU being so large, expansive and inclusive to be able to pull somebody into a new type of game saying, well it's just Marvel themed. So if you liked Carnage, if you like Venom, if you like Spider-Man, we can find a you can play that character or play in that world with this game. And it's been a lot easier for me, as someone that has a full-time job when I'm not kidnapping store owners and their uh, workers, to actually introduce people to new games. Because I can say, well, if you understand this universe, that's going to be a third of the battle in learning this game.
1: No, I agree with you, too. And it's. um, I've talked about this, and maybe not in the podcast, but I've talked about this in the store, that um one of the really cool things that's going on right now is all the not all the but a good chunk of the people who are currently kind of some of the making decision makers in hollywood right now are my age and so they grew up with all the things that i grew up with and they love them and cherish them just as much as i do so so we're seeing you know i never thought we were going to see anything behind some of the really beyond some of the really hokey 1970s Batman and um, uh, Spider-Man. There were some really bad Spider-Man movies and I okay. uh, um, I saw a, a feed just the other day of the, a couple of Captain America movies I didn't even know existed, right? One oh. where he's basically, he's just got a motorcycle helmet on that has, like, wings super glued yep. to the helmet. Yep. Right? Um, you know, and that's what my childhood was, was reading comic books and reading all these novels. And and, and then the every ad- adaptation of them was just so bad, so horrible. Um, that now having a DC universe and a Marvel universe in the movies is just amazing and I um, even the bad movies I still like, right? Thor, Right. Thor the Dark World is often panned as the worst of the Marvel movies and I'm like it's still pretty fun ride watching Christopher Eccleston just go uh, super ham up on the entire thing, right? So, um, it is the worst of a good set of movies.
0: Yeah, and, and that yeah. I think is something to be said. Yeah, and and so it's it's also we've
1: had this massive transition. You know, when I was in high school, there was no doubt that I was both a geek and a nerd, right? It's just it's it's who I am, and and um, but it was a it was a negative label. Right? In Uh in high school. And now people cherish and celebrate the idea that they're a geek. Um, That didn't happen. You know, You probably the same for you. You're 10 years younger than me. And um, that didn't happen if you were labeled a geek or a nerd. Um, And even when you were in school in the 90s, it was still a negative thing. And now it's like, people are like, yeah, I'm a band geek, I'm a theater geek, I'm a a board game geek, I'm a video game geek. and and so we've changed that whole stereotype which has been amazing to see which allows us to have marvel movies that have done phenomenally well it allows us to have lord of the rings movies and lord of the rings tv shows and it allows us to have all those games that bring people into this universe um when marvel splendor came out i thought it was going to tank i really did i did not think it was going to sell well and we've done amazingly well with it Hmm. because a lot of um high school age when i say oh the original splendor i'm like well you're a gem merchant mm. but in the marvel one well you're going for an infinity stone they're like ooh now we're in because i it's a reference point that's a year of change for yeah it. so ending my bringing my soliloquy around that's is as reference points where people understand what's going on and, and we can get people in so i love all this stuff going on. And I would love to know more about this Marvel game because the article that we both read has like no information on the game and then talks about Lord of Waterdeep for the rest of the article. Yeah,
0: that's what I noticed as well. It's, so I assume it's, it's this like a half a not-
1: paragraph about this game exists, and then the rest of it was all Lords of Waterdeep.
0: I assume that there might be some NDAs that are going around at this point in time. Possibly this this person can talk about the fact the game exists, but cannot talk about the game itself. So I, I was curious, because Lords of Waterdeep, again, huge fan having one where i'm in new york and i have heroes that i can go and assign places uh would be amazing or and maybe he's doing something completely different just because you're the creator of a game doesn't mean you're going to be making the same thing over and over again
1: yeah and i think the big challenge in all these games is how do you make the heroes feel like the heroes if Mm -hmm. that's what you're bringing people in with you have to give them that experience to make them feel like yes i'm playing a character um one of the things I was I like so much about the uh, Marvel Dice Thrones is like the, I was playing as Loki in it felt like I was being Loki and being sneaky and devious and casting spells and then you know, stabbing when I could. And and that's what the, the cool feeling about it was. But um, that's the challenge, right? Just making it feel right without just slapping a skin on top of it.
0: And I've played games that basically have that feeling. Marvel United, which I love for the fact that it has the amazing little mini chibi figures of all these great heroes that I love. The actual decks for each character, while each character has their own deck, there's not a lot of personality there for me. I, I I feel like I'm playing exactly what somebody else is playing. So it's much more of a cooperative game, but again, I feel like it just kind of was slapped on there. There was also a, a scrolls, uh The uh, Super Skull? Or Secret Skull? Secret scroll. Sk-
1: Secret, Secret scroll.
0: Yes. And you were supposed to play as heroes, and one of you were a scroll, so it was social deduction, but... I was a superhero that in the game rules I can only use my power once and while I understand for the mechanics of the game you can't probably use your powers over and over again as a superhero that's like saying alright Spider-Man you can go fight crime but you can only shoot webbing once and I didn't like that feeling so you're right finding that vibe and it's the same with Lord of the Rings Lord of the Rings I think some people go in they want to be a magic user but magic's very different in Lord of the Rings so you want to have that that right feeling very often not at all Uh, Very rarely and with great purpose because they didn't want people to rely on magic. They wanted them Mm -hmm. to live their lives. So I I feel like finding that balance of making sure that not just that you have a theme that's fun, but also working it narratively into the gameplay is so vital. And so that's why this game, I saw a lot of possibilities there and was very curious if you got a chance to take a look.
1: Yeah, and um, we were talking about who... How is he going to make this game, too, because I thought that, I mean, um, unless it's going to be, unless it's going to come from Spin Master, I think Spin Master might have the rights to Marvel um, board games right now, Mm. which is why um, you've seen the CMON games like Marvel United and X-Men United. Have a Spin Master logo on the box, like almost as like a sub distribution or sub publishing kind of rights sort of thing in there. So I'm wondering how this is going to come through. I'm I'm not sure. It's going to be interesting to see how they do this one. Yeah, as it rolls um, out. Yeah, because it, the the rights game is is painful. It uh, sometimes because as a for instance, there's not a lot of good Star Wars games, which hurts me. To you know, my soul, because Hasbro has the rights to Star Wars board games, and they have made nothing good with it. Right over the years, there's—I mean—they took Loop and Louie and they slapped a Millennium Falcon on it, called it Loop and they There's no great Star Wars board games. Um, Star Wars uh, I take all right Star Wars risk is, is okay because it's pretty unique but
0: I would put out outer Rim as well,
1: but outer rim's not a Star Wars board game. Outer rim is a Star Wars minis game and so there's they have they've played this fast and loose, which is why uh, Fantasy Flight has the rights to Star Wars minis games and so all the games that are out there have to have a bunch of minis in the box, which raises the price of the game. So uh, rebellion, great, great Star Wars minis games. You can't call it a board game because otherwise Fantasy Flight would lose the license to it.
0: Outer Rim is cons- that's it's
1: Considered a minis game, yeah. It's it, it's and I people are like, how come there's no good? You know, I guess we got uh, Jabba the Hut uh, love letter just just <laughs> yeah, recently, just recently. Um, but but for the most part, there's not a lot of good Star Wars games after all these years still not, a, but there's some really good minis games.
0: I think one of the things that Star Wars has sadly done is very much written itself into a corner. And I think Dave Filoni has come in and is really helping people, showing people how to expand the universe out through the Mandalorian, through the book of Boba Fett, through the Ahsoka books that are going to be coming through Star Wars Rebels and Alliance, but I think and that the novels. Long, and the novels, which but then we get into a weird space because now we have the non-canonized novels and the actual canon novels and so that's always kind of a weird place to play in and i think you don't see too many board games coming just from books like they have to have some sort of media element to them whether it's a tv show or a video game or a movie
1: i think that's true because
0: the only one I can think of is Rising Fox, I think it was. Red Rising? Red Rising. There we go. Okay.
1: From uh, Stonemire.
0: Yes. And which I knew- is based on a book that I had
1: never heard of until this game was coming out.
0: Same here. Uh, the, uh, the game I actually played with you a few weeks back, um, Call to Adventure... Yeah. has been able to pull in some narrative devices from The Name of the Wind and also some of Brandon Sanderson's uh, Stormlight, Stormlight novels. Chronicles. But again, I can't say that many people know those games as much as they know the ones that have like Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and things like that. By the
1: like way, Patrick touched. Rathavis, if you happen to be listening to this podcast, write the third book. Come
0: he, on, come on. You it's know, been five years. Write the third book. He's eccentric enough that I I would believe that somehow he would stumble upon this someday. So I don't think that call out is... It's not unwarranted. Unless However, you want us
1: to start referring to you as George R. R. Rothifus, write the third book.
0: I feel like he just needs to accept that it's not gonna be a trilogy and he needs to just write more than three books. Fine. Just exactly. R- finish the story. Yes. Finish it. Come he's, on. He's living his best life right now. He's on all sorts of podcasts and TVs, <sighs> and he's been doing things online. Like, he's living the celebrity life. And to be honest, he does a great job. Uh, he did one episode of the One Shot podcast that I absolutely love, where they basically did an adventure of kids on bikes. Yeah. And he played the science teacher in town that was helping the kids deal with a supernatural horror. And he did a fantastic job with it. It was amazing. It's definitely worth your time. Speaking, though, of series that actually don't, uh, you know, coming from source material that you don't know too much about, there's one that kind of caught my eye that I wanted to talk to you about, and that is Tidal Blades. So Tidal Blades' first game came out uh, almost, what, a year and a half ago now?
1: No, it was pre-pandemic, I think. So maybe late 2019, early 2020, before we
0: got shut down. And it was a big... Game. I remember seeing it in the store. I was like, "What is this?" Uh, Of course, I ended up buying it
1: physically. Physically big. big.
0: Physically big. Yeah,
1: because it's got a main board and then like it's a three or four sub boards, and then you got your player board. And yeah, we we struggled putting that out on the demo tables of trying like, how do we make this fit and make it so that we can explain it to people?
0: Exactly. And but it had this very rich, inclusive lore, and the actual gameplay was. I wouldn't say it wasn't groundbreaking. It was fun. They did a great job. You have some unique characters and ways that you can play them, and I think there's replayability there, but it was worker placement, same as anything. Um, But I always sensed that they wanted to do more with it, and I sensed that from a lot of games. This is the first time where I've actually seen a game purposely say, okay, here's the sequel." Uh, because they just recently announced that not only was there going to be a Tidal Blades two, but there's also going to be a Tidal Blades RPG coming out. For those of you who yeah. have not played Tidal Blades, the basic narrative is uh, there was. This is more of an ocean world where there's a lot of islands and underwater creatures. Uh, there was a, a darkness that was in the world, and the Tidal Blades were a group of warriors that helped push back the darkness.
1: Right, and, and it was a
0: competition in the in the for game for who was
1: going to be the next. Tidal Blade.
0: Correct. the The game is playing to find out who is going to be the next hero. Yeah. Uh, and then you would have to fight these kind of leftover monsters from the darkness in order to prove yourself. So a second game is coming out, which they haven't released a lot of what it's going to be. Um, but the new one. And
1: it's it's not a it's a it's a sequel in the fact that it comes from the same world, but they did say it's a complete standalone game. So it's not exactly. an expansion pack. It's a, we have created an all new game that lives in the same world that a lot of people really enjoyed, like, um, well, like you, right? yeah, As a, yeah. for instance. Um, we created a whole new standalone game in that world
0: and i felt like this was really unique because i've seen a lot of games that will create a game and then do expansions as you're saying in order to add to lore or story or things along those lines uh, i've seen games that kind of then will branch out into different areas but having this direct sequel and then also opening up to an rpg felt very unique to me but i'm going towards the the, the game shop owner to tell me is this something that i'm just not noticing or is this actually something somewhat um, unique it's
1: been done a couple of times, but not quite the same way. So, as a for instance, um, you know, I really enjoy Chronicles of Crime, right? And so, Chronicles of Crime had their original game that was out, and it's very much a whodunit kind of, uh, uh, kind of like a more board gamey version of a murder mystery. And they did some really unique things where it's an app assisted game including even to the point where they released um, um, a clip on 3D goggles to clip onto your phone. So you could say, so you could look at like these crime scenes in 3D, um, which just kind of add to the experience, kind of that augmented reality board game intersection there. Um, and then they came out with the Chronicles of Crime Millennium series, which was taking Chronicles of Crime to the next level. Um, where they, so it's kind of like they, it's in the same world, but they, they didn't necessarily change the gameplay so much as they just made it, they, they made it more elaborate because, um, the Millennium series is set across Chronicles of Crime, um, uh, God, it was it 1,080, 1,800, and then 2,400, and so it's like you're playing three standalone games, but then there's a bigger mystery of something going on that ties them all together. Um, kind of felt a little bit like Chronicles of Crime meets Assassin's Creed with your going back and forth from the past to what's going on in the present, that sort of thing. So that happened, but yeah, not a lot of. I mean, Dungeons and Dragons has had tons of games that have been created in the Forgotten Realms that are all standalone storylines.
0: Now that you've been mentioning it, I've also thought of the uh, time stories. Which is somewhat yeah. similar, uh, where you're going back in time and trying to relive events and trying to figure things out, which I find that game personally very frustrating, but I know that there's a huge fan base for it. Uh, I also yeah, know and if,
1: if anybody who's listening has that game, if you didn't know that there's literally like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of user created content scenarios that you can play, um, Asmodees kind of discontinued the game, but if you just search for it on the internet, there are databases where people have I mean it's probably got to be five or six hundred unique scenarios people have created to use the pieces of the game you already own and play all new story
0: and that's what I think is really the point of what they're trying to do with this title blades is they are in a way, I feel like, trying to open it up to people to build their own adventures in. Yeah. Uh, somewhat to Dungeons and Dragons, but at the same time, still giving them other ways to play the game. Whereas Dungeons and Dragons started as an RPG and has progressed into board games. I feel like this is kind of almost a reverse where they've created these entry points in these board games, but now they're letting you kind of continue your own adventure within yeah, that. Yeah, I can see that. I, I think I
1: think, that's, I think that there's, if we keep thinking about it, and people at home are probably scre- scre- screaming out additional examples, um, I think that there's it's been done several times before but coming at it from this is coming at it from a different angle so it it is and it's pretty unique in the fact that um, you're right that they did create a pretty inclusive world the first time out, which we haven't always seen, but um, that's a trend that will probably continue going forward in the future, you know, especially since one of the Kickstarters we got this week was Coyote and Crow, um, which was entirely created by uh, folks who identify as Native American. Um, And it's very inclusive. I read the first couple chapters of that. It's really interesting. But uh, uh, I think that this is a way to just keep building on a world, and, and the RPG will be the entry point for more things in the future, too. So if you have this idea and create this source material, there could be tons more board game spin spinoffs. as as they go along, too.
0: I'm going to throw Jamie a curveball here, because I actually didn't send him this, but speaking of inclusivity and role-playing, there was... uh, I'm going to have to look it up now uh, as I'm talking about it, and I'm going to try and fill this with no silence. But there is an RPG that is coming out that is a basically combination of Bob's Burgers and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. (laughs) What? It's called... (laughs) And and if I get this wrong, I understand it's called Jang Shi. Okay. and Blood in the Banquet Hall is the, the name of the box game and so the concept is your character is working in their family's restaurant and this comes from a uh, like a Chinese restaurant vibe and things along those lines okay. so you are having to like work with customers and take orders, work with your family uh, and those are all mechanics that are built into the game but your family is also tasked with keeping track of supernatural entities okay. <laughs> so you work in your restaurant by day and you kind of fight monsters by night and I haven't read a lot about it I just only saw a tiktok and I might try and, and put it out there jengshi again jengshi blood in the banquet hall is the name it comes in a nice box I believe from what I saw of them unpacking the box you even get a your character sheet I think looks like a ticket like you would write
1: I was the say menu but okay I can yes, see ticket as, like as, a, as, as that as well
0: uh, but it's, they said that they, you know, they worked with a lot of people who this was their culture, this is where they came from, and, and tried to gain a better understanding so that when they developed the game for it, it had a, a unique look and feels for even people that didn't grow up in that culture to help yeah. them understand it. And that's, again, one of the great things I think about role-playing in general is allowing that type of thing to happen. Wow,
1: that's interesting. Bob's Burgers plus Buffy the Vampire Slayer is a really unique take. Yes, I will. I will
0: send you the the link for that here in a few yeah, minutes.
1: That that makes me think like um, uh, there's a crossover episode with between Family Guy and The Simpsons, and uh, it's talking about. That there's a, uh, I think it's a manatee in a tank that's pushing random words to the top, and those random words, as they collide together, become the themes of the next episode of Family Guy. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, it's that that that's literally what I just thought of when you said Buffy the Vampire Slayer meets Bob's Burgers. That's
0: RPG, wordplay, yeah. Mad Libs, yeah. yeah I'm sense. gonna
1: I'm gonna segue for just one second on this one, as I was just um, filling out the pledge manager for Heckin Good Doggos. Yep, which is the new RPG coming out where you play as dogs, as you would imagine, and the uh, the character sheet for that one is it kind of looks like a dog adoption form, Aww. right? It's pretty. It's pretty awesome. So, I shared that out once with our staff members, and everybody's like, "Oh, now I need that book. I didn't know that I wanted that one, but now I need that one." So,
0: is that same as the Magical Kitties RPG? Is that in that same vein, or I think it's uh, I think it's. Uh, oh, they wrote one about cats. I'll write one.
1: About dogs, gotcha. right? I, th- gotcha. I think that's totally what it is. I mean, it, and it's been done before. Um, the fantasy version of it would be uh, from Steam Forge Games, the uh, Animal Companions. Yes, I'm trying to remember. They them. did Dungeons and Doggies and Cats and Catacombs as minis first just to have fun, and then it became a full RPG system afterwards. Oh, I'm, I'm dropping the name, I can't think of what it was, what the name of it was, but it's sitting on the shelf at the store. But it's it's been done, and the, this was just a new new take on it. And, you know, you can either choose to just be a regular dog, or you can be, um, you know, you can basically do Cthulhu with it, or you can do Kaiju with it, or you can do... So it has all these ru- rules in the the game to take it down different paths of what you want to do, but everybody plays dogs. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, heckin', heckin good doggos. I, I love the name of it.
0: So, sadly... Is Hacking Good Doggo's in the store right now?
1: No, 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 no. I just just put it through um, the the pledge manager. It's probably more of a Christmas time kind of thing.
0: Well, until then, let's talk about what is available at the store. However, we might be at a bit of a disadvantage because our super secret location is not necessarily close to the store, and we weren't able to actually get a picture of the new hotness, which we normally use as reference as we talk about it. Uh, so Jamie's going to frantically search through his phone and see if there's anything, but he's it's, got a photo. It's on
1: your phone, too.
0: It is on my phone.
1: Yeah, I think that um, a couple of the things that came in this week that I was stoked about are going to be things that if Jesse was here, he would be different than what he's excited about. I did talk briefly about Coyote and Crow, and the, the, the basis of that system is, uh, or the basis of the world that they've created there is is that european expansionism to north america never never happened there was an asteroid or something that caused a a mini ice age and europe um so that north america and south america were free to develop without um either um you know asian or um, european influences and so it's interesting, it took me a second. One of the maps in the game, I was looking at it and I couldn't figure out where it was. I'm like, well, this is supposed to be set on Earth and they were, they were just showing it upside down. Um, mm-hmm. Florida, the panhandle of Florida was sticking up and I was like, oh. And, and West Wing did that in an episode too where they I've showed the, the map if you, if you inverted it and how different it looks um, to make South America look bigger than North America, it was interesting. So um, once I figured out the map was upside down, I knew where everything was. But it, it, it's, the world is split up into five major tribes that have kind of formed around them with the Aztecs and, and Cahokia, uh, obviously here in Illinois, is one of the featured places as well. So it was pretty cool system. Like I said, I'm still reading through the book and really enjoying that one as well. So that came in this week.
0: I did see that the new Marvel Champions set came out, which I believe is the Sinister Six. Yes. Uh, and that is something I can talk about at length because I love Marvel Champions. It's one of my favorite games. I wish they had more content like the Arkham Horror Series where there's like visiting locations. However, the vibe is a little bit more fast paced. And they have done some really unique things from the start to where they are now in trying to give you a bit more of an immersive experience. Um but this is this is a great set. It's bringing you Spider Gwen and Miles Morales as two new playable characters, yeah. and the storyline is basically you having to fight the Sinister Sticks. Now you can play up to four people in the game, and uh, and you can also play two decks per person if you want to just do that way. However, it is scaled so that as many people as you're playing, the more difficulty it's going to be. Uh, So you have to, the, the game is a lot of helping each other out and trying to find the best skills for everyone.
1: Did you see their April Fool's Day announcement?
0: Yes. The Uh, Spider-Ham.
1: Spider-Ham.
0: Peter Porker, which you might recognize from uh, Into the Spider-Verse, is coming to Marvel Champions, and that's a legit thing. He's really coming.
1: They purposely put it on April 1st just to mess with people, but it's legit coming out.
0: And it will also have what's known as an encounter pack with it uh, from, if you've read the Into the Spider-Verse comic books, there's this whole race of people that chase after people with spider powers. And so you'll get an extra set of villains that can be put into any sort of of a scenario that you run which is one of the nice things how modular uh, Marvel Champions is so even if you played it before if you play again with another person you can swap some things out and have a completely new experience
1: One um, of the other things that came out this week that I was super stoked about is Fangs
0: I saw that on the list what is that
1: Fangs is a reskinning or a reimagining of Shadow Hunters I don't know if you ever played Shadowhunters, Shadowhunters is from like, uh, God, like 2010, 2011, something like that. And it's a it 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 was my first experience with a social deduction game. And in in Shadowhunters, uh, it was the light versus the dark, and then there's neutral. So there's actually three parties with all with competing interests in there. And uh, Fangs reimagines it where it's vampires versus werewolves with humans stuck in the middle. And at the beginning of the game, nobody knows who anybody else is. So you have to move to locations and you draw cards that allow you to ask other people questions. And based on their answer, you're trying to figure out, are they on your team? Are they on the neutral team or, you know, which team are they on? And then you can take actions based on that too. Right. So if they're against you, maybe you go, okay, well, I know that they're against me. So I'm going to start attacking them to make sure their, their team doesn't win. And uh, so Fangs is a, it's a smaller box because they got rid of the board, and instead of board, they use cards for the locations. But uh, basically, from you know, we we leaf through the cards, pretty much the same game, just with were- werewolves and vampires. And because Shadowhunter, they stopped making like. I don't know, probably five years ago. And it's going for $150 online for a beat up, super ratty used version of it because a lot of people love that game.
0: Which I think you own, you have
1: a I copy. I do, uh, I do. I, uh, I, once I realized that, uh, my copy was the one that was in the demo library at the store for forever. And so I took it out of there and took it home because I didn't want it to disappear from, you know, somebody yeah. rent it for two bucks and never bring it back and they've got a $150 game.
0: So, I know with the original game, there was a lot of anime influence. Does that stay true, or did they redesign the art for
1: Completely this Completely redesigned it. Got it. Okay. It's, it's, it, it, it unfortunately looks more like Twilight movies, with the vampires versus the werewolves, but there's no sparkly vampires. But it kind of,
0: Maybe I more felt more... Vampire the Masquerade-ish, possibly? Y- yeah,
1: but not quite as violent, right? Gotcha. It's somewhere in the middle there, I mean... You, I think Vampire the Masquerade is, a, is probably a better analogy to it, but but man, that was really, really bloody. Yeah, that's <laughs> fair. really that's bloody. Fair. And they're trying to go for more of the family vibe. Maybe, Maybe I Angel think a little bit. from the Buffy universe. <laughs> I, there you go. I there, can see that. There's that, that happy medium Angel and Oz? Yes. Right?
0: Um, I did see Destinies on there, which is a game that I've kind of seen a few times, but I don't really know that much about. It was a big Kickstarter
1: that came out. That was the, the game finally dropped last year, and we missed the Kickstarter on it until afterwards. So we tried to get in on it, couldn't make it work. Um, and so we got a couple of retail copies when it dropped last year because it, it came out right, right at the beginning of November. Sold out instantly because we only managed to get, I think, two copies of it instantly gone, and we haven't been able to get it till just this week. And it is, uh, it's another app assisted game, right? And I know that, um, that those have become popular because a lot of the times the app assisted games make it so the game is a co-op game and the app runs the bad guys, right? Because mm-hmm. not everybody wants to be like the to play the old school, like I'm going to be the bad guy and all four of you are the good guys trying to stop me from what I'm doing. Not everybody's cool with that scenario. Um, but Destiny uses the app, but it's still they call it the first ever app assisted competitive RPG game. Hmm. And I I don't. I haven't seen a playthrough. I haven't got a chance to, to go through it yet. But it's, it's on my list of games to check out because um, the buzz and the Board Game Geek reviews are just amazing on the game. So uh, I'm super stoked about that one. But we didn't get that one onto the shelves until Friday.
0: Speaking of some other good games that I know have been out before but now are back on the new hotness, uh, Horrified American monsters are there Yep, and that's good uh, i play played that if you like the Horrified series it's, it's the same thing just different monsters and it adds a nice variety uh, you can't really play the two of them together I think they're kind of meant to be unique on their they own are. so uh, it's not like an expansion but the other one I want to talk about is the Princess Bride which I've actually gotten to play I own a copy and it really is this storybook adventure where you if you've watched the Princess Bride before this is going to not surprise you there's no shocking twists and turns but each page of the story is a different way of playing the game and a different way of approaching things. And it, it adds a little bit of variety. I would say it's a great date night game. If you and your loved one likes to play board games together, this would be a great way to just kind of say, let's do something fun together and play along.
1: It could be another good gateway game too, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To, to maybe have another couple over that is not big board gamers. Like, well, you've seen Princess Bride, right? We're going to turn the movie into a exactly. game. Exactly.
0: And one of my favorite mechanics is if you fail a page, it's actually it's supposed to take you back to the time where the grandfather is talking to Fred Savage and it's like, well you know, it's not that scary, we can restart it and then how he restarts within the movie is the exact same way. He,
1: so, like when he's like he's like, I just want you to know it's going to be he, okay. It's going to be okay. Because yes. you had a look like, you know or, or Fred Savage interrupts him like, there's not kissing because oh, there's always ah, kissing Why is there always ah, kissing, right?
0: Maybe some kissing. Yeah. Um, one thing I, and this might be another right field throw at you. uh, The Batman The Dark Knight Rises Returns game? Yeah, so that is... That's another Kickstarter
1: one, um, and that is a... It was originally designed as a one-player game where you... Are Batman in more of his detective role versus mm-hmm. his Batman as, uh, you know, brawler. Um, you're in his detective role, and you're trying to track down what's going on in Gotham. And it's there's like, there's like a campaign mode of uncovering everything as you're investigating locations and, and discovering where things are going. Um, of course, because they did it as a Kickstarter, that unlocked uh, minis for the game, because the base game and the regular retail version of the game, when it arrives, won't have have all the minis and all the artwork and all the minis are designed around the Frank Miller run of the Dark Knight um and so it's it's old Batman, right? It's it's like fifty-something-year-old Batman whose body has just been beat down and abused and broken after all these years, and uh, really interesting art style for him and for Robin, who Robin is a young girl in that run, um, and then the 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 traditional. Um, List of villains that Batman always runs up against. So, so the deluxe box, you get the minis, and you get all this extra stuff that goes along with it, and this really cool slipcase. The only problem that I have with this particular presentation is it shows nothing about the game on the box. Oh. It's a slip case that has, you know, some people have done the slip cases where they put like a piece of paper that shows like, this is what the retail version of the back of the box looks like. So that, um, this is Jamie, the sta- game store owner saying, dear Kickstarter designers, <laughs> your special slip cover hides your artwork that you made for how your game works.
0: Any board game developers, I'm sure Jamie would be more than willing to offer his services. My rates are very low. Very low rates to make sure that we can make these board games as good as possible. Yeah, I mean,
1: it has nothing on the box whatsoever that shows what the gameplay looks like. So we made sure that when we built it out on our website at redraccoongames.net, is where the store is at, um, I put all the videos and the artwork and everything, the best stuff I could find from the Kickstarter and from their BGG page, um, because the box shows nothing. But the box is beautiful. It mm-hmm. will look amazing when it's sitting on your shelf as long as you know what's inside the box. Yeah. So, yeah, that was that was another um, cool one. And
0: I would just like to put a shout-out. The Dark Knight Returns is... Uh, DC did a great run of animated movies there for a while. Uh, it kind of has went into some weird zones since, but they did an amazing one where Frank Weller, who is the RoboCop, yeah. RoboCop Voices Old Batman. And it is a two-movie set for this story. And it is well worth your time. The animation okay. is solid. They follow the story almost religiously. And it really brings you to what does the end of Batman really look like? And, and in a society that... Progresses. How does he keep up? And it's just a, an, a great story. I would highly recommend it.
1: Okay. That's good to know. Uh, I'm going to plug one last game because I think we're approaching our time limit here pretty quick. And this is an old school favorite of mine that we haven't had in forever, which is Burgle Brothers and Burgle Brothers 2. And Burgle Brothers is uh, they're both designed by Tim Fowers, independent game designer. Um uh, we had Burgle Brothers on the shelf and and sold a lot of it probably five or six years ago. But then, Tim, wasn't able to keep up with demand and stuff and his life I think kind of got in the, in the way and so he didn't have any copies of Bruegel Brothers you may also know him from um, Paperback which is one of the few games I can get Kelly to play with me because it's about spelling and she destroys me at it of course um, <laughs> anything with spelling don't play with a teacher right Um But Burgle Brothers is this really cool game where it's a cooperative game where you're trying to pull off like an Ocean's Eleven kind of heist and you break into a building and you have to, you play it across three floors. And the interesting thing about it is um, the game didn't sell very well until for my personal copy, I saw somebody on Etsy who had made a, Um, stand to put it in so that you're playing all three levels in the stand and you were looking at the game where you basically had to stand up to play the game and look at the different levels because it's important to know where the stairwells go up and down and what's going on and where the guards are patrolling. Burger Brothers 2, Tim did a Kickstarter on and the box is a multi-level board that unfolds and so you've got multiple levels of the game and you're robbing a casino this time and um, he was able to get the original Burgo Brothers reprinted so we're Excellent. very excited to have Excellent. both of those. I'm going to get Burger Brothers out and put it on <laughs> ironically I, I took a $35 game and put it on a $65 play stand, right? <laughs> we all, we all spent a lot of money on our game inserts and so and it looks just absolutely gorgeous and when you see it and pres- present with all three levels you're like I want to know what this is and I want to know how to get it and, and it's, pretty, it's a pretty cool uh, cooperative game. I really dig the experience of playing that one.
0: So what would be happening this week that might bring people in the store to check out some of these amazing games?
1: oh god Um, what is coming up this week Um, I know that we've got uh, Dungeons and Dragons Adventures League is next Saturday so we're rebooting that one and um, we were just talking about what campaign they're they're, going to play and I think they're going to switch over and they're going to start running some Ravenloft material so you get into some of the the grim dark Transylvania type stories um, as well Um, the man there's There's stuff goes on every night of the week, of course. Uh, And I think the next big event coming up, I mean, we've got Streets of New Kappanis at the end of the month. We've got Astro Radiance for Pokemon is coming up soon. Um, That's right at the end of the month, more into it going into May. Um, We've got Gamers Night coming up again. So that's another big one as well. And there's just... uh, I don't know. We're getting busy again. We're, we're at life is starting to return to normal. Um, and we're getting busy again. And I, I spent last night yesterday, I spent about 25 minutes with a young kid and, uh, was just explaining to him, he loves Marvel stuff, and I was explaining to him tie-ins with, like, Heroclix and Crisis Protocol, and he's like, can I come watch? I'm like, hell yeah. You know, Crisis Protocol, they play on Wednesday. Come and check it out and watch. Um, Heroclix is Thursday. Come check it out and watch. He, you can talk uh, talking to this guy. He's a huge comics nerd like me, and uh, he's super excited, so... Just a lot of fun stuff happening.
0: And if you ever have any questions, what's going on, make sure to like on Facebook, check out our TikTok, as well as just go to the webpage, because I think you have an updated calendar there of all the yep. new things that are coming down the pipe. We
1: try to keep everything as far in advance as we know to know about them. We try to keep it all on Red Raccoon Games. Um, it's actually at .com. You click events, it'll take you right to the right spot. Oh, the other big thing is is if you are interested, um, we've got a Blood Bowl tournament coming up in the 20th, some 24th, I think it is. And that one is you have to get signed up early because you have to submit your team for approval prior to the event starting, and I know we've already got a bunch of people signed up for it. I think it's got a cap of 32, and I think we've already got like 20-something people signed up, which is awesome.
0: And if you don't know, Blood Bowl is football mixed with Lord of the Rings with a dash of the brutality of Warhammer thrown in
1: just yeah, for the mix. Yeah, if the if somebody's got the ball and they're running with it, taking out the sweep the legs has got a whole new meaning.
0: Especially when you have blades, yeah. possibly on your legs as you're sweeping. Yeah. So, not, a, not all players survive the match. <laughs> <laughs> but for that, you'll have to come into Red Raccoon Games in Bloomington, Illinois. But if you want to know more about the stop and what's, how it goes check us out in two weeks on this podcast
1: yep we will be back our goal is to do these every other week and yeah i I don't know we have fun with it and our nine listeners enjoy them so
0: we're in the double digits not not by much but we're in the double (laughs) digits so yes thank you everyone who listens and see you next time all right bye y'all